independent, expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Good evening. You are listening to Independence Day. My name is Joe Armstrong, and this is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. Tonight on Independence Day, we are very happy to have Alyssa Graham. When jazz-influenced singer Alyssa Graham set out to record her new record, Lock, Stock, and Soul, she opted to do something few artists attempt in the age of recording albums on laptops. Rather than build the album track by track by overdubbing, she and her producer assembled a group of talented musicians and put them in a room, together, at the same time. This live-in-the-studio vibe permeates the record and gives it an authenticity typically found on albums by artists she lists as influences. There are shades of James Taylor, as well as her idols Neil Young, Nick Drake, and Bob Dylan, along with collaborations with Michelle Indegiacello, David Garza, and Jesse Harris, the latter of which is best known for penning key tracks on Nora Jones' multi-platinum debut, all of which saves the record from being a mere throwback to Graham's singer-songwriter forebears. Welcome to Independence Day, Alyssa Graham. Thanks so much for having us. And you also have a wingman here. My always go-to wingman, Doug Graham. This is Doug Graham on, on the guitar and the vocals as well. Welcome. I'd like to thank both of you. You guys are New York-based, correct? We are New Yorkers, and true and true. And what brings true and true? What brings you to uh, what brings you to Los Angeles? We are out here um, shooting our second music video that was fan chosen um, by a vote that was taken on Facebook for our second video track. Okay. Yeah. So you're shooting. We are. We had a rehearsal today, which was really fun, and tomorrow all day we have a video shoot. Are you like in uh, like the the like barren L.A. River Basin? Like or no, you we're in up like near a... Bronson Canyon, okay. which is actually where we shot the first video as well. But the first video was sort of this romantic black and white throwback to the six French sixties, um, and it was the track "Till My Heart Quakes" from the okay. record. And this one is um, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say, but the fans did pick it. So this yeah, one is going to be one of the more sort of um, What's the word? Easygoing songs on okay. the album called Round and Round. Well, if they picked it, I think they've got a little bit of ownership in it. Of course, they should know what it is, should they not? This is true. Agreed. And they all have own- They always have ownership. I mean, that's yeah. what keeps us going. Come on. I think it's fascinating that when you, as an artist, when you create a song, like once it's out in the world, I feel like it's not just yours anymore. Like they, you know, the, the people <laughs> oh, out there, no. they as have an idea. As much as you'd like it to be just yours anymore. Yeah, well, they, but no, but as a listener, they have an idea of what it now means to them. It's now the soundtrack to their life and the, the experiences that they have in their world. I mean, I mean, do you, like, I, I kind of view my songs as children in a way. Mm. Like, how do you view yours? It, it's interesting that you, you made that comparison to children because I know people who have children would be like, what are they talking about? But I've been asked that before about choosing songs for the record because we recorded a lot more than we needed. And I often say, well, have you ever seen the movie Sophie's, Sophie's Choice? Uh-huh. Which is like, you know, yeah. a horrible decision choosing between children. And obviously that's a little dramatic, but they are children. They're these, you know, these extensions of you and these expressions of you and your innermost soul and privacy. And yes, they become part of the world. And so it's it's great. And it's also scary. Yeah, yeah. I, I hate to be a contrarian here. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> But, I, you know, one of the problems I find with uh, treating my songs like babies is that I can't let them go. <laughs> so one thing, we worked on this record, Lock, Stock, and Soul, with Craig Street as our producer. And right. one of the very valuable lessons he taught us was how not to have things be precious. And yeah. that concept 
freed I definitely freed Alyssa as a songwriter. I know that it helped. It definitely helped me. Although I always have sort of subscribed to some form of that, um, successfully and unsuccessfully. But um, I think that there is a lot of value in not treating them like a baby, so that you can let them out in the world and let other people take ownership and feel good about it. It's true, and and you can more easily appreciate a moment in time and sort of just go with that and then move on and let it go. And that's what. Right. That's what you need to do as an artist. And honestly, though, but that's why I like my metaphor is that it holds true. Like when children, Very like true. they grow up, your job is to kick them out. Yeah. Your job is to teach them what to be, help them be the best version of themselves and then kick them out into the world. And if they need to help to come back and like, hey, I really want to be in this movie, then it's my job to get them in that movie. But other than that, like they're children, not that you should coddle them every step along the way. They're children that grow up. If you do it right, then they're out in the world and they're making their own business in the world. They've got their own life. Yeah, it's that's very true. true. Good point. Good point. Anyway, in any case, let's get, let's let's hear what this music is all about. You've got this brand new record. It's just come out. I, I don't have a release date for this. Do I? Is it you, came out January thirty first. Okay, so it's brand new. It's pretty brand new. Yeah. Okay, and you're out doing a video for a song from this record. We're how how long before people will see this video? Probably not too long. Our our director, who's amazing, Greg Gold, he lives out here, and he's really. You know, he's really dedicated and really fast at these turnarounds. And yeah. this is going to be a pretty fantastical video. So there's going to be a lot to do in pre in post-production. But I think, I think you know, within yeah. the month. Okay. Well, there he, you, he's tr- probably listening to this shooting himself right now. <laughs> yeah. He's in his basement exactly, with a bottle of scotch. Exactly. I can't believe she said yeah. that. A month. She's crazy. <laughs> and then, and where, so before we play the tune, what what's the destination for a video in 2012? Mm. I mean, it's not like there's now, n- once upon a time there was MTV. Like, right. oh, here's where it goes. Now, I mean, does it just go on your Facebook page, well, on your website? Where does it go? It's a really interesting question because... We weren't we, we weren't sure we needed a video or whatever, but obviously YouTube is this massive, um, you know, player in the music industry these days, and it, and and it it really allows musicians and artists to have a voice where they might otherwise yeah. not. So when we shot the first video, we had no idea how much value yeah. would be in a video. Surprisingly, the the premiere for the video was on the Huffington Post of all places. Of all places, how how on earth. I know How? it's interesting um, because you think of the Huffington Post as a political journal and yeah. you know this really sort of intellectual non I don't know non video premiering yeah. Yeah. Ag- platform aggregator that's a better word yeah. For it, yeah but anyway so they chose you know they kind of got the bid or whatever to premiere the video great a lot of people yeah, a lot of I people mean, visit the Huffington Post every single day so I think that because of the internet videos are so valuable because there's so many outlets you wouldn't even think of yeah it's like they were super popular in the 80s and then you know like this Tom Petty and Dire Straits and Madonna and Prince and everybody had all these videos which yeah. were iconic and then it kind of just went away when MTV started showing nothing but shows and then YouTube. Uh, and then YouTube showed up and now they're popular again but now people make them for nothing True, but you know, as an artist, you have to have at least a hundred thousand hits in order for right. anybody to pay attention to you. And yeah, so that's so right. Well, let's bring it back to the music things, where the video thing is. We can nobody can see it anyway. Maybe we'll put you know we'll, well put a link to it. Well, they can see the first one. Yeah, they can see the first one. So yeah. you check out your website, which I do have right here, alyssagram.com, A L Y S S A G R A H A M. Got it spelled right. So that's where people should go to learn everything they need to know about you, at least <laughs> the things that you want them to know. Exactly. And, Facebook's uh, where they'll learn the stuff I don't want them to exactly, know. Exactly, like your mom. <laughs> In any case, this is the track I know. This is track two, I believe, from the record Lock, Stock, and Soul on Independence Day. 
Good evening. You're listening to Independence Day. My name is Joe Armstrong. I join you every Wednesday night from beautiful Pasadena, California. Tonight we have two New Yorkers here by way of Jersey, by way of God only knows where else. Joining us in the studio tonight out here in the Los Angeles area recording a video for their new record or her new record, I should say. It's technically your name. You're kind of like Gillian Welch. Thanks. Wow, that's you know? the hugest compliment Because like, ever, she, she has David, David Rawlings, Rawlings, who's always there, but he's never on the marquee. Yeah. You know, but, it's, but they, come as a, they come as a pair. Exactly. You Just guys, keep telling your listeners I'm like Gillian Welch. That's good. <laughs> yeah, she's, I, I'm a huge fan. Me too. She's ab- huge fan. Absolutely fantastic. The new and, record's really nice, too. Yeah, and, and Rawlings, too. I mean, they, 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 they're, they're just a pair. I know. In every in every way conceivable. This was her know. first album in like eight years or something. Yeah, right? they they'd recorded um, they'd recorded I guess a whole record mm-hmm. and just weren't happy with it and kind of scrapped it and I think then they kind of poked around for a while yeah. and then they ended up coming up with this one which I think is, is great because I was Beautiful. a huge fan of Time the Revelator. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was un- just unbelievable and they're they're very dark, you know. It's like was that T Bones. Uh, I think they did one? it. Them well, he did their first record, right, the which revival, which revival, was years right, ago. Right. Yeah, that's and then there was Hell Among the Yearlings, I believe. And then was there another one yet? And those were all produced by David Rawlings. The right? first couple, I think, I think were T Bone, but then they, then yeah. they started producing themselves. Yeah. And there, there's a great magazine called Tape Op, 
which if you're a recording engineer, which I don't know if you guys tinker with that kind of stuff at all. Well, maybe yeah, we'll talk absolutely. about that in a bit. Uh, free magazine called Tape Ops. So it's a free plug for those guys. It's an excellent magazine. It's like artists and how they record. Uh, you just have to be in the industry to get it for free. And there was they were in the um, uh, recent article. They were, they were in a recent episode or in addition. Uh, what the hell is it called? Volume. Episode. <laughs> Volume. Volume. Issue. Volume. They were in an issue. And uh, they were talking about like moving microphones like millimeters mm. to get different sounds, you know. And I, I knew that Rawlings was really into this, but I had no idea how how deep the rabbit hole went with right, that guy. Right, yeah. In any case, we're not here to talk about Gillian Wells. We're here to talk about you. It's true, but I could talk about her for a long time. Yeah, I could too. <laughs> so again, again, welcome to California. Welcome to Independence Day. We're eager to hear what you guys are going to play here in the studio next. Um, but you uh, are primarily known as a jazz singer. Kind of, sort of? I don't know what people know me as. I I went to school for jazz, and when I got out of school, I went to the New England Conservatory of Music, um, and when I got out, Doug and I had written a bunch of sort of singer-songwriter tracks, and we decided to record them with jazz musicians and with a great jazz producer who's now become a wonderful friend of ours, John Coward. Um, And it sort of turned into this jazz album because of the players that were on it, Homero Labombo and Greg Wamare and John Coward Obed and Calvert. Obed Calvert. Yeah, you, you talk so sexy with all these names. And, uh, <laughs> Doug Weiss. And it became this other thing than the way we had originally written the songs. And we love Echo, which is our first record, which mm-hmm. is sort of quasi-jazz. And it was put out by Sunnyside Records. You know, I, th- I, f- I always feel like, not to compare myself to Nora Jones any more than I've already been compared, but I always feel like, her record wasn't necessarily a jazz record, it but wasn't. it was out it was on, just Blue on Blue Note. Note. So it became this jazz entity that people needed to categorize it. And, and I feel like that's well. sort of what happened to Echo, not on the same scale. Yeah. But you know what I mean. Yeah, and that was it was kind of a unique thing, too, because she, you know, I, t- I hesitate to even call her a crossover artist because, I mean, she was playing little jazzy cocktail gigs around mm-hmm. New York, as I understand it, when they recorded that record. And, you know, they did it on Blue Note, not expecting it to do anything sure. at all like it did and mm-hmm. then she became the biggest artist in the country for a few years sure. I mean it was you know and it was and I I mean I have a personal theory I, th- I think that she was what the world what the United States needed after September 11th because it, like everybody was wounded and that album came out in 2001 yeah and they it? needed someone to be soft and kind and nurturing and mm. quiet and and I, th- I think for me I think it filled that void I mean for me personally no, that's it did interesting, I never yeah. thought of um, that and, uh, you know, and, and I think almost Coldplay was the same way. They were like light and poppy and kind of ethereal and not too deep in a lot of ways. Radiohead, and, you know, and that's what we need. And they were like the light version of Radiohead. And that's right. what we needed as a society, right. I think. So not that there's to take away anything from either of those artists. I own records by both of them. No, they're all but, really talented. But I mean, yeah. timing has a lot to do with everything. Yeah. So, so but why, as, as you're known as a jazz singer, um, you know, maybe by default, you know, but this new record seems to be kind of like almost a throwback a little bit to the 70s singer-songwriter country-ish, mm-hmm. light-ish country style. I mean, where do you piece yourself in this as a genre, or does it matter to you in any way? Well, it specifically, it doesn't really matter to us. Um, okay. Uh, but we've always sort of reveled in the idea of being outer ca- category, um, and we always have been outer, outer category. Um, and on this record, we really... Um, we weren't concerned about we weren't concerned about what where we were going to uh, take it. We just wanted to play and write songs that we loved playing and writing, and see what happened. Yeah. And we met the musicians. You know, we were in the studio for seven days straight. First day we met the, the other some of the other musicians, 
Five days straight, thank you. And uh, we met the other musicians, and we had one day of rehearsal, and then we went into recording, and it just came out the way it came out, you know? And, yeah. and we didn't know that there was going to be any country twang on certain certain songs, but it happened to be there, and we love it. So. Well, that's yeah. true, but, you know, you you took exception to me before, so I'll do it to you now. Good, good, I like that. <laughs> we love having couples in here because this always happens. And they we, call each other out on the radio. Oh, yeah, we grew up together, so we know each other really, really well. Um, yes. We didn't care what genre we were placed in or what people needed to categorize us as. However, we did know that we wanted to go back to our roots, and we did know that we had been categorized in some way as jazz artists, and that wasn't necessarily where we came from and who we were. So instead of taking those singer-songwriter songs that we had written for Echo and played them with big jazz bands, we wanted to keep them as simple as possible. We wanted to have that roots sort of folk sound yeah. you know, at its core. So we didn't care what people categorized us as, but we did intentionally strip these things down or keep them stripped down. Yeah. And you find that, I think, with a lot of musicians where, you know, you'll find the Marsalis brothers playing with Willie Nelson. Yeah. You know, where the musicians don't see these barriers. You know, we just see doing what we do. And there's maybe with the style that I do naturally, maybe it comes to me naturally or you comes to you naturally. Mm -hmm. But then when you get to a bunch of musicians who are really inspired together, who are like at working at what they do, they don't. You know, th there's no board. It sounds so hokey, but there's no borders. There's no color lines. There's no race lines. They just play together. Yeah. And there's a, there's always a way to find common ground. It's so funny because I always say, like, I've, during all the elections and the political hoopla that goes on, and I'm a big Bill Maher fan and everything, but during all these kinds of times in the country, I, I, during all the times in the country when we're in these political um, debates, I always say that if if politicians were musicians, we wouldn't have this problem because they would learn how to listen to each other. Yeah. I mean, that's really an amazing thing about music is that, like you said, it brings people together from all different walks of life, and you have to listen to each other. No matter what your backgrounds are, it, it forces you to open your ears and listen. And so I, I think all politicians should take some music classes. And play in a band. <laughs> and play in an ensemble, yeah. You hear that, Mr. Santorum? Yeah. <laughs> From the Grams. Well, he, he's kind of hopeless for that. I'm sorry. Well, Condi Rice is a killer That's piano true. player. Yeah, but she's not <laughs> Santorum. She's, she's only one. And there's, and there's Clinton with his sax. Yep. And exactly. then was it was it Huckabee who played guitar? That's right. Or bass. bass. It was right. bass. It's Huckabee bass. played bass, right. which I think is a really interesting... Like <laughs> It doesn't fit. <laughs> the temperament of a bass player, this came up just last week, is such a unique thing because it's like the glue that holds a band together. Like mm -hmm. the guy with... Unless you're Sting or Jocko... The, the bass player has to be okay with, like, standing back there by the drum riser and then just kind of laying it down. You know, like, they're not going to get the glory. They're right. not going to get all, you know, they're not going to get, like, the people in the band understand this, yeah. but I'm not sure that other people do. Well, we were literally just talking about this on the way over here, which is that we've never had great luck with bass players. They yeah. always, it's like our spinal tap. Uh -huh. You like know, drummer, they always yeah. spontaneously combust, like the drummer and spinal tap. Uh -huh. We just... Bass players are always the ones that are difficult yeah. and difficult to keep and hard to find. Or hard to find. It is and hard to train and I, hard to. Yeah, I th I think it's a temperament issue. Mm. It's hard to find. It's not just to find a bass player. It's to find a human being who's willing to play that role. I yeah. think it's the hard thing. That's, yeah. That's true. Because it's you know everyone in the band kind of has their role, like their their personal like emotional role within a group of mm -hmm. band of musicians and 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 it's key that you have the right like players in the right spot. Like you don't want a guy who's a, like a quarterback temperament 
playing the defensive line. It's mm-hmm. a different mindset in the you basement. You just lost me. Yeah. <laughs> I got it. Or or the power forward can't play center. Or, sure. or maybe they can. I don't know. You get the idea. You can pick whatever metaphor you want and run with it. Um, but it's, I just think it's important that everyone have, have their space, you know. Um, so I want to talk – actually, I want you guys to play a song. When we come back, I want to talk about how you started your working relationship together. Because you okay. said you go back a really long way. Yes, so there's got to be different <laughs> facets to this in terms of, sure of you know, how you find music and how you find love and how you find all these things that kind of exist together. So let's, um, let's play a tune. You guys got something queued up for us? Sure. You want to play Exploded? Yeah. Oh, that one. I thought we were doing something else. All right. Sounds good. So you, as a reminder, our listeners out there in Radio Land, my name is Joe Armstrong. You are listening to Independence Day, show about the music business. Tonight we have Alyssa Graham and her compatriot along with us. So what, what's this going to be? What's this song? This is a song called Exploded View.
Alyssa Graham, Doug Graham, here in Independence Day. Very nice, boys and girls. I dig it. Cool. Thank Thanks. You. Cool, cool. And I like I like the trend of like guitar players. I see this a lot. Like amps are getting smaller and smaller and smaller, which is great. And but they're <laughs> That's better. Pretty small. Yeah. You know, because like once upon a time, like the only small amp you could get was a piece of junk. That's right. You know, it sounded terrible. It's, it's like a great some funny little PV. You're <laughs> lucky PV, to get right. a crate. Some funny little PV or some even some crazy off-brand thing. My first amp was a Gorilla. I remember that. Which actually was, now looking back at it, the thing sounds like a million bucks compared to some of the things that are out there. Um, But, you know, but now they're making small amps that sound great. So players who want to play at a little smaller volume, God forbid, can actually get good tone. Yeah, that's true. Which is a nice thing. That's true. So talk to me. You guys have got this multi-leveled relationship. Yes, we do. You guys, we work together. (laughs) You grew up together. And now you're betrothed to one another. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, What... How does this work at all these different levels? I mean, are you able to compartmentalize these things? Do you have like different hats that you wear, or is it just kind of all exists in its, its own? It's so juice? all existing. I mean, well, there are hats. There are definitely lots of different hats that we can sort of trade off. I guess. <laughs> I mean, I, I sort of specialize on the technology side of things, um, and obviously, sort of lead guitar. Although you wouldn't know from that version of that song. Um, anyway, <laughs> I'm very self-deprecating. Uh, Anyway, um, there was no lead guitar in that song. That's why. Exactly. So I'm largely the technical guy. I deal with you know making sure everything's working. I do a lot of songwriting and consulting and consulting with Alyssa on that stuff. Um, she wears all the rest of the hats, which is a thousand other hats. So. But that's not the like that's juice something. of it. I mean, you want to know like our relationship and stuff, right? Well, or? it's it's an open-ended <laughs> question. Yeah. You know, I'm just I'm just curious how this works because I see this a lot, like uh, especially at this level. Like, and in, 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 I don't know if it's just the modern music business, or I, I don't know what the, what the source of this all is. But I see a lot of people who are couples who mm-hmm. play music together. Um, and, you know, because there's there's some horror stories out there. You've got, like, Richard and Linda Thompson who I played know. together for years and years and years, and they split up. And then you've got Nora Jones and Lee, Lee Alexander, yeah. right? And they were together for years and years and played together. And I imagine when you're on the road, it's easier because it's a cheaper hotel room bill. <laughs> and, you know, you kind of know each other. And if, if, you know, they say if you, if you really love someone, um, don't marry them, work with them. Because <laughs> then you get to see them all the time. So, but you guys kind of seem to have the, the best of both worlds. We do. And I don't think that either of us, as much as we love music, one of the things we pride ourselves on is that we love music and we couldn't live without it and both of us somehow would find a way to always play music, but we wouldn't do it to this capacity if we weren't together. If we didn't do it together, it's just our relationship always comes first and I think that's sort of the key. I mean, in our history, I'm not sure, the chicken or the egg, I'm not sure if we started playing music together as friends, I think, first or if we fell in love, but... We have been together since we were we we children, <laughs> and um, so probably longer than I don't know how long Richard and Linda were together, but probably definitely longer than Lee and Nora. I think they were together for like seven years. Or something. Yeah. Now, but did you two did you two go to high school dances together? We sure did. We have oh. pictures to prove it. I went to her homecoming your, dance. That's we went your to, album cover right there. We went and <laughs> Doug wore it. Doug wore a leather jacket and a bolero and like a big black like pimp hat. Pimp or something. hat. Yeah. <laughs> well, you are from New Jersey, <laughs> no <laughs> doubt. It's such a snapshot. Well, he had already graduated, and I was still I was still in high school. But yeah. you know, we were really, really good friends. My brother and Doug played in a band together um, uh-huh. when I was younger, and um, and we we started playing music together. Um, I think Doug was the first person to teach me about harmonies, 
how to sing harmonies and it come up with harmonies. Yeah. And uh, I remember that. That was that like was after fun. a big hike right. in the parking lot on, on the hood of a car. We were singing fifths and we just like, we're singing the whole rest of the, the day right. just singing fifths and harmony. Right. <laughs> and, but we were just buddies and we became really, really close friends. And then the story is basically that we were sitting on the couch together kind of, you know, hanging out and Doug turned to me and he said, and this is after years of playing in bands together and just being buddies. He was like, I think I love you. Oh, <laughs> and I was it's like, the smartest what? thing I ever did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're and very smart. We've been together man. ever since. Um, yeah, and you know, I think it only enhances. It's challenging, but I think it only enhances the musical inspiration and the musical relationship. And, and, and we we learned how to fight and resolve our fights before music was like, yeah, absolutely our our main career. That was yeah. like we, we we learned how to settle and deal and and become you know okay. Arguing is arguing with each other is cool. No problem. It's gonna get you know get better after this argument always. Yeah, because Our families think we're nuts. I mean, yeah. we spend twenty four hours a day together. Yeah, because I hate to break it to everybody, but like music can be stressful. You know, what are you yeah. talking about? And then you start you start involving you know like record labels and traveling. Yeah, egos. Egos. Oh yeah, we fought like twelve times over here. On the way over from West Hollywood to here, we had we like got divorced like four times. Just LA <laughs> LA traffic will do that. The to traffic, exactly. Yeah. Although honestly, I found New York to be the great destroyer of relationships. Yeah. Every couple, including my own, that I know went to New York. No <laughs> way. Interesting. Interesting. Because you know, because I, I I swear to God, my apartment in New York was about the size of this laptop. Yeah. And yeah. we paid twelve hundred dollars a month for it, and that was nineteen ninety seven. You know. And we were on the fifth floor of a walk-up with no view of no organic material of any kind in the back, <laughs> looking down in a courtyard. Not a tree, Water one towers. blade of grass, nothing. All I saw was sky and other people changing in their underwear. <laughs> that was it. That's me changing in my now, underwear. Doug running around shutting the curtains because I no, just walk yeah. around in my underwear. That said, I love New York. I miss yeah. it. I miss it desperately. But I mean, it, it's just like you're. It's like a pressure cooker. It can be, yes. It can, it can be. be. It's, it's true, but we're from there. I mean, yeah. we grew up right outside of New York City, yeah. both of us, so it's sort of in our blood. I think yeah. that, and we do live in a thousand square feet and yeah. spend 24 hours a day together and place, write songs right next to each other, write different songs I'm and like, criticize I'll, I'll each I'll other say, Can all you please day. close the door? I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm like in the middle of the chorus here and you're just starting on another song? Give me a break. <laughs> She's like chopping onions and you're trying to work out the bridge of your next single. Right? Exactly, exactly. No, no, we work it out pretty well, though. This is great, though. I, I, lo I love seeing this. I mean, I, I like seeing it work because, again, I mean, there are just so many stories about, like, I, I, I just, I was, you were talking, like Ike and Tina Turner, like all these different things keep yeah. coming up. Sonny and Cher, like all these things keep coming up where it's like they did this or, and then it just, it just exploded. So yeah. please, the I wish you do not explode. I wish do not explode. We won't explode. I wish you the absolute best. But Thank and, and now so how about some more music? Sure. Let's play a little let's play a little something else. Tell me what this is going to be. I have no Hard idea. Quakes? Riverman? Riverman. Yeah. Okay, sure. Let's this is a brand new song, actually. Is this not on the record? Is this This like is not new, on the new, record. New? Brand this new. is new new, but we thought we'd do it for you. That's fantastic. We like debuts here on our cool. show. So cool. I don't know if I'm in tune, but I don't want to tune while we're We did debut it on Day Trotter. Okay. That's the only place where yeah. it is. Cool. And uh, just what, real quick, what's the song about? Is it so because it's so brand new. The song was actually um, inspired by an Ezra Pound poem okay. called "The Riverman's Merchant," and uh, I think it's called "The Riverman's Merchant." And it's sort of one of those songs about longing and and fear of loss. I uh, think. It's and here I uh, I thought it was going to be a Nick Drake cover when you said you were going to play. Oh uh, no! Yeah. But I do love that song. All right. I so couldn't do that. 
Nobody can do Nick Drake justice. That's true. Right? I, I don't know that I've ever Unless heard... Unless they stay alive, of course. Yeah, but, I don't yeah. know that I've ever heard uh, a good Nick Drake cover. It's He's too haunting. He's too unique, which true. is like the best kind unique. of musician. He's, it's, almost, it's like Tom Waits. It's yeah. like you can cover oh Tom God. Waits and kind of do your own thing, but you can never really play Tom Waits. Yeah. No. Only Tom Waits can play I, Tom Waits. I feel Waits. like all a lot of the singer-songwriters today are trying to sound like Nick Drake. And, uh, you know, I feel like Beck is really the only one I can sort of see. Even close, yeah. Yeah, even close. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so this is Alyssa and Doug Graham on Independence Day with their song... Riverman. Riverman. Sail home 
Very, very nice. Alyssa and Doug Graham together romantically, musically, here on Independence Day. It's wonderful to have you guys again, all the way from New York. Uh, that is a brand, brand spanking new song. How many times do you think you've performed that in public? Once. Twice now? Oh, sorry. Day Trotter, which isn't in public, but it's yeah. a live recording. Right. So we did it there in, um, I think, f- uh, February. Yeah. And yeah. then um, we played it at our CD release party okay. in New York City. Okay, so like this is two weeks ago. Just a, this just is a, it, man. You just, got it. Just a few times. We like that. It's cool. We get that every now and again because artists, cool. you know, that's one thing when you're an artist, you're always writing. And I've, I've yeah. found this every single time I've done an album or even produced an album with another artist where um, the record will be done and there's always a lag mm. between the time that you get it done. I mean, it might be a month, month because there's always artwork and there's different things they have to do depending on how many other people are involved. But you, you know, your process doesn't stop as a writer. No. Correct. You keep at it. And, I mean, I remember we played songs at our CD release party from my last record twice, both at my CD release parties, where uh, there was another song, and then the band had four months to, like, get it up to speed. So, like, it was presented along with the rest of the songs, like a brand-new song, but then it's this other weird thing, because then it becomes the oldest song <laughs> on the right. next record. That's it's right. this weird It's this weird. It's true, and actually w- one yeah, of the true. songs on, on Lock, Stock, and Soul was written... It was sort of my um, thinking back about the process of, of pre-production of the record and, and working with Doug and working with Craig Street. And I wrote it after we were done in the studio. Um, and we, we recorded it sort of on a lark in Los mm-hmm. Angeles, actually. Yeah, we, went out to, we went to get uh, another guitar part on, on a different song, right. right? like a solo part on High Time or something. Right. And uh, I was just like, you know what, let's just record this. And if Craig likes it, We'll slap it on the record, yeah. and that's he's a lover. It was my like appreciation for Doug and how well yeah. how much of a lover he is. Uh, <laughs> not a fighter, right? <laughs> he's right. not a fighter. He's a Pisces that's man. I'm the fighter. About. I'm an Aries. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> She's an Aries too. <laughs> In any case, uh, all genealogy and and star signs aside, <laughs> um, but why? But why? I, I'm a Gemini, in case you were oh, wondering. Oh, no. Stay That's away, why. dude. No. You know, I, I am what I am. Yeah. You know? No, I'm not. Jekyll and Hyde. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I am. Exactly. It's a stupid joke. We're just superstitious. Yeah, right. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. Do, do you actually take no, stock in no, these sorts of no, things? No, 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 not at all. But I do find, you know, you can find things that are like, oh, of course, I'm totally an Aries. I'm absolutely an Aries. And... It's hard for me to think of myself yeah. as a Pisces. No way. Well, that's how the whole shtick works. Is right. that they they, right. they kind of give you a few examples, and then you go, "Oh yeah, that's that's just that's like right. me. That's right. I totally love 
breathing and swimming <laughs> and sleeping. Right, like yeah. Aries are, are supposed to like go through doors first, uh, okay, or have scars on their face. Or well, something. that's what his mother told him when we first started dating. His mother said, "What sign is she?" And and uh, he oh said. Boy. I think she's an Aries, and she said, "Oh, look for the scar on her face. All Aries have scars on their face for getting yeah. in other people's business. For getting, putting, going ahead Interesting. first. Interesting. I have a long and sordid history with Libras, uh. including the girl who I went to New York with. Interesting. No wonder. Yeah. yeah Gemini's Libras. You can't. No. I don't know. Not I, New York. I, not in New York. Well, yeah. Now it's all so clear. What are I we talking about? I should have known. <laughs> Seriously. What are we talking about? Uh, so, so you've got this new record. You're out here recording it. But I want to talk about. I mean, you guys did something with this record that was very, very unique. You don't see this a whole lot. The last time that I knew, you know, and I, there's some little details we'll have to clarify about this. Mm-hmm. But the last time that I heard of an album that was recorded. I can think of two albums that are recorded entirely live, one being a Cowboy Junkies' Trinity Session. Hmm, I didn't even know that. Which was from the late 80s. Uh, they, they, had done a, they had done one record like this, and then it was kind of like a precursor to the album. Like it had Sweet Jane on it that yeah. everybody had. But they went to a church, set up a PA, and did the whole thing on a stereo mic. Wow. So everything was completely live, not even, not even multi-tracked. Right. So even the performance, all the volume levels, everything was set live in the room, which is the way they did it in the 50s. Well, that's yeah. even cooler than what we did. And that's the model that Daytrider <laughs> uses, actually. Yeah, yeah we recorded two-track. Two-track, track, right. Great, great. Well, we're, yeah. And then, um, and then uh, Uncle Tuplo, March 16th through 20th, 1992, as I, or, or, no, it was an Anodyne. I think it was Anodyne that was recorded live, lead vocals and everything. But I think they probably multi-tracked mm. it. I don't think they did it to two-track. Right. So what... You know, what? whose inspiration was this? Was this Craig Street's inspiration to do it this way? Was it oh, your yes. idea? Yeah, I mean, we, we have always, it had always been our thing to try to isolate our sounds as much as possible and get, oh, my God, this room is so quiet. Check it out. Oh, this is, I get zero bleed from anything. Isn't this awesome, you know? Yeah, but then you're Steely Dan. <laughs> right. It's so well, true. We wish, but yeah. Um, but in this, in this process, I mean, Craig is a very unique individual and his you know he brings in all his own gear in the recording studio all and does vintage. Yeah. all vintage gear you know doesn't let the guitar player play his guitars he, yeah. uh, their own guitars he, yeah, yeah yeah and that's a really cool thing um yeah, and uh, but he we had talked about where we wanted to record because the pre-production time was really interesting because we moved up to this town called Ithaca, mm-hmm. which happens to be where Doug and I spent many years playing in a band, and it happened that Craig lived there, and so we just packed up our apartment in New York and moved up there for three months, and we had we were hiking every day and biking with our dog, and it's a really inspirational little town, mm-hmm. and we wanted that same vibe when we just when we were going to record the tracks like for real so he showed us a few different options of recording and there was this old church that was turned into a studio in woodstock new york called dreamland studios i mean how good is that (laughs) and so almost as good as free beer studio yeah right (laughs) but um but it was the middle of winter i love the snow and it was this old church and we all went in it was a snowstorm practically the entire time and uh, which is excellent for sound dampening, by yeah, right. the way. Yeah, it, right. was, it was most beautiful, really I have to say, with the stainless glass. I can never say that. Stained, Stained glass windows. See, this is why I keep them around. <laughs> Great. And uh, <laughs> we, uh, yeah, we, and we, and we were rehearsing in a circle, rehearsing. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the day, day two, Craig kind of walked around with the, with the engineer and they put some blockage up where we were rehearsing uh-huh. and just kept us there in that same circle. But I mean, the, the, the issue for me was that the drummer was sitting right next to me. So he wasn't playing a full kit necessarily, but 
there was there was bleed and everything, and Craig had no intention of re-recording any vocals. Uh-huh. So even if we wanted to re-record them, you know, we couldn't overdub right. because the bleed was too. I was sitting next yeah, to this the drummer. Is, for those of us, for the, uh, this is a little uh, asterisk here for our audience. Like when you record an album, like they multi-track, so each microphone, each instrument goes on its separate track. And if you're all in the same room, you can't isolate what instrument's on each track. So you can't go back and fix anything. Right. Everything is what it is. Even though you multi-tracked everything, right. um, it's, it is what it is. You can kind of you mitigate it a little bit with volume Correct. and some weird phasing things mm-hmm. and hide it with, like, cymbal washes and crazy <laughs> right. things. Exactly. But it, it is, you know, it's, it's a very real way to record. It keeps you very honest. It keeps it you sure very is. honest. And, you know, one of the amazing things... People ask me what I learned from this record, and there are so many things that I learned from this record, and I'm sure Doug as well. But one of the things I learned is that there is no beauty in perfection. There's no nobody wants to listen to a perfect record. When I listen to Neil Young, which is like my inspiration for almost everything, there's nothing perfect about him, and that's what's so, you know, um, awesomely beautiful about Neil Young. And this experience really made me embrace all the imperfections and the things yeah. that I, kn- I used to look at and say, ooh, I'm a little out of pitch there. Oh, my voice cracked there. Oh, we got to do that again. It's like those are the things that make us beautiful and unique, yeah. and that's what we wanted to come through in this record. And a lot of people are going to listen to it and be like, why didn't they re-record that vocal? Right. <laughs> but it's yeah. a moment in time, and you got to embrace yeah. that. It's very refreshing to hear these sorts of things, you know, coming out of young musicians, because in the world of autotune, <sighs> it's so easy to fix these kinds of things. Oh my, we were in the studio recording a uh, demo for uh, some, from our, some of our new songs, and the engineer couldn't believe that we weren't using autotune. He was like, I've never been on a session where we don't this use autotune. This was last week. Yeah. I couldn't believe that he said that to me. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's. I mean, it can be its own thing, and that's funny, I guess. It can be a kind of a shtick, but I, well you know, and it's and just like any technology, honestly, all the way up from like the first wheel, all the way up to the space shuttle or beyond, its power can be used for good, and its power can sure. be used for evil. Yes, I've used it on sessions where it was a time-saving feature. Do I know that the singer can sing this this line in tune? Absolutely. I've heard them do it a hundred times. But we do not have time because we're renting a three thousand dollar microphone, a two thousand dollar microphone preamp, and a one thousand dollar uh compressor to do this track and we have a day to do all the vocals. Right. right. But it really does change the sound of your voice. I mean, there yeah. are good ways to use autotune, but I mean, I can hear it. it the yeah. second they try to put something like that on my voice, I would be like, no yeah. way. I can they use it, it on my backups a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and as the as a consumer, as the consumers of music now, like they're so accustomed to it that they don't hear it. Right. Because they don't know any different. Like that's just what music sounds like. Well, now. ever since that share song, right? Yeah, well, that's that's the egregious use of yeah. yeah. Like that. I mean, that she was should, purposeful. Someone obviously. should do a donut in her yard for that. That's not <laughs> a donut in her yard. What a cruel punishment! That is, yeah. Well, you know, I don't want to like actually hurt her. <laughs> yes, you know, course. you know, her grass can take it. But it's so interesting when that song came out. I forget when it, that song. Do you believe in love or whatever it's called? Yeah, that's yeah, the one. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Doug and I were down in Peru when that came out, and we were in like a which is almost far enough. M- no, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. That's the that's the irony, I guess. The scary part. But my brother was living in Peru in Cusco, and he took us to this nightclub, and um, all his friends, you know, who were Peruvian at the time, were in this club, and it was just everywhere that song, and I was like, wait a minute. I came to all the way down to Cusco, Peru, and I got to hear the auto-tuned share tune. Like, 
There's there's no hiding. There's no hiding. There is no hiding. So let's let's hear you know one of my favorite things still to this very day about music, live music that happens for real in a room with people. So and we've got you here. We've got musicians. We've got both of you here. We've got guitars, old guitars by the way. Old these are guitars. beautiful. Tell me what year these are again. This is my 1944 Gibson. And it's named Sweet Adeline because Doug's mom bought it for me. Oh, yeah. that's beautiful. Yeah. You guys are you guys are like warm fuzzies all around. <laughs> Dude, we have some dark sides too. We right. could bring that out. My guitar is called Sticky Death. <laughs> and um Sticky <laughs> Sticky And uh, it's a fifty seven ES one twenty. This is this is inside baseball again, but like one twenty five. I love it when guitars are older than people, most people I know. Yeah, I think right. it's a really, really cool thing. Way so, older than me. Yeah. So that's very cool. So let's what what are you guys gonna play for us? Oh, what are you gonna play? You wanna play um our disco tune? Oh yeah, that's a good one. Is it? Do you need me to go? Mm, sats, <laughs> yeah, sats, go for sats. it. Um Okay. This is this is from the record or is this old? Yeah. This is from the record, yeah. Okay. Wonderful. This is one song that Michelle and Diggy Ocello really stands out on on the record, and uh, and we call it our disco song because of how far how big she steps out on it. Even though but she sounds more like here, so she sounds more like right. Family Man Barrett um, than she does. Oh, Aston! Bootsy. He's one of my favorite bass players. Oh, no Aston doubt. Family Man Barrett. No he doubt. He played with him. He's what, got like he? seven hundred kids. What do you expect from Michelle and Diggy Ocello? She knows where it's at with the bass, and yeah. she 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 knew what's up. So it's true. All right, let's hear it.
as well admit to myself I'll never be on your good side now You ain't like kind of Alyssa Graham and Doug Graham with their track Ain't My Kind of Boy from her brand new record Lock, Stock, and Soul, which is available where exactly? Through your website, undoubtedly, at shows, undoubtedly. No. Are you guys on the iTunes? Where are you? No, it's not available on my website, I don't it, think. It is. You can listen on my website, but... I put the link there. Oh, okay, yeah. Available God, God to forbid buy, you sell right, your right. music on your website. Yeah. No, but iTunes, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, all the Sim stores, all the indie music stores, go support your local indie music stores, and that's where we're at. Yeah, b- better, better, moreover, just buy music, for God's sake. That's true. That's yeah. true. You know, support the industry, you know? I mean, we give things away so much, and that's great. I mean, it's, it's, it's great to be able to listen to so much music and go out there and sample from all these different things, but... You know, we, I hate to say this, but we, there needs to be commerce to keep this at it. Agreed. We've just trained ourselves not yeah. to expect it. There's a whole generation who just doesn't know it's music is free. Yeah. yeah. You know? Well, there's the whole Spotify model, which is out now, which is yeah. kind of interesting, you know. It's a yeah, little bit things of a compromise. Are, yeah, things are changing. You know, the technology's changing a lot. You know, we've got these weird things like MySpace, which we thought was dead, has become this, like, bastion for music. Um, has, has it really? It has. I keep telling him that he doesn't believe. Well, it. that's it's what true. It all it really offered in the. Fr- I mean, that's what, not all, but that was one of the really strong points it had in the beginning. Yeah. I mean, in the middle. I think I think it's what's yeah. keeping it alive. I mean, mm-hmm. Facebook has kind of bested it in every other aspect, but yeah. that's the, they're still around. And but you've got you know great sites like CD Baby. We had Brian Felson on the show last year, nice. uh, president of CD Baby. Um, there's there's so many opportunities, but people still need like they you know, go, go see shows. Just support music one way or another. It's such a key facet. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I want to talk real quick about the album, and then what I, I want you guys to get one more song in before we run out of time here. So you be thinking right about on. that while we talk about this last thing. Okay. We we kind of touched on this with the with the record. How it's a live record. But or live in the studio record, but how live is it? Are there any overdubs? Is yes. there like one or two? Like, is it like mostly? Well, there what are backup it? vocals that David Garza 
okay. contributed to this record beautifully, and uh, he's also one of the songwriters on the record. So okay. we have to, we like to mention that. Um, the, the so end, the end of uh, high time, we we uh, added a whole uh, the electric guitar. We added the electric okay. guitar on the end of high time. Yeah, um, mostly I feel like we took away. Honestly, mm-hmm. well, there were things we would record a song live, and then if there were certain things, you know, I think this is a typical jazz process where we would record a song live, and if there was something that was like great song, but like I screwed up a little guitar riff like in one bar, yeah, uh, I would go back in and I would cut, you know, I'd punch in that fix, and that okay. definitely happened on every song with you know one okay. musician or another. Was this a Pro Tools project or me. was this a vinyl project? This was or a, not a vinyl. I'm sorry, analog. Tape, analog. Right? No, it was not analog. It was a Pro Tools. Yeah, I you know I, I wish now I sort of I've always sort of been a fan of an- analog, but now with my yeah. vinyl collection and everything, I am a Joneser. I wish we had it on two inch tape. No, we can't <laughs> wait to go to Amoeba. You know, I'm so obsessed now. Like I I got actually I just I've been I've been amassing vinyl for the past like couple years, nice. like in anticipation of CDs going away because I really like the tactile process of yeah. having a record. Oh, yeah. So I've been kind of getting things here and there, and I go to Amoeba and spend more than I should. <laughs> but then like now a friend of mine just gave I didn't have a turntable until like two weeks ago. A friend of mine, thanks Jay, gave me his extra. <laughs> turntable so now i've got a turntable and so but now i'm even more obsessed like i needed another oh, reason to go to amoeba like i keep thinking of all these albums that i absolutely must have yeah, on, vinyl. on vinyl he's obsessed i have to yell at him every day he, and this is a like you know a <laughs> couple thing fights. like yeah. he comes home every day with 12 new records and and that's awesome because we just got this beautiful audio technica yeah. record player and it plays stunningly but the thing is, is I'm one of those people who like something to look forward to. Right. I like randomly walking into that record store and being like, oh, I've been looking for that Kinks record. Yeah. Or, oh, I've been looking for that, you know, whatever, Dylan record, and and finding it serendipitously. Yeah. And he likes to go out and buy, every. he searches, he goes out and buys all the records he wants. Well, I yeah. saw Everybody Knows This Is Nowhere by Neil Young on uh, yeah. brand new. That's I true. guess they're re-releasing a bunch of Neil albums. Oh, yeah. <laughs> freaked out, and I... Had to get all of Neil's records. <laughs> I can't hear these things because now I need Harvest. Oh, you Harvest! Know? I play Harvest. We have that on vinyl, and I play that almost every day. Yeah, I mean the one, the one, the one I have that I'm obsessed with is Boston One. Oh, nice! Which is so unridiculous, so unreal on vinyl. I love it. I'm such a geek for it. What is it? It's, it looks like me. I, uh, More than a feeling. That record. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Boston. I love. Boston. I have a Yes album. You know, that's one of yeah. my favorites to listen to. It's just classic yeah. on vinyl. That and the one that I'm, I'm going. This is the one I'm obsessed with, which is I think a good one to have on vinyl. I want on 180 gram vinyl, of course, because there's no other way. I need yeah. to have Dark Side of the Moon. Oh yeah. yeah. Got it. And I don't have it. <laughs> yeah. I don't have it. Someday. And we just got the wall, which was like yeah. a find. Which is like got to be on 80, 180G. That's probably like an eight disc set. <laughs> it's in like three songs per exactly. side. In any case, I want to get another song in. We've got just about enough time for you guys to sneak one in under the wire here. So do you guys have you have another song oh, we that we can play? got a fan in there. Yay. Cathedral Pine. Uh, what? Oh, no. Okay. Heartquakes? Okay. Yeah, Heartquakes is good. Okay, so lay, lay it on. We us. haven't had time to tune, so, you know, I don't think tuning on the air is the best thing. It's real. We talked about that being real before.
Till My Heart Quakes from Alyssa 
and Doug Graham here on Independence Day. That is the lead-off track of their brand-new record, which is called Lock, Stock, and Soul, available at finer music retailers everywhere, as well as the internets. God knows everybody buys a lot of music on the internets, along with everything else. We've just got a few minutes left, but I wanted to touch on just one last topic before you guys roll out of here today. You know, uh, the music business has changed so drastically, you know, in such a short amount of time. And technology is like a really, really big part of that. How are you, you know, as a musician, how are you? I mean, we talked about Pro Tools before and, and, and Auto-Tune using its power for good or evil. How else are you using technology to, to in your music career? Like, are you interacting with fans on Facebook? Are you tweeting? Are you? We talked about YouTube, too. But, like, wh- how do you use it? I... I'm new to the whole Facebook, Twitter. I mean, not that new to Facebook, but Twitter, yes. And both of those avenues and platforms are amazing and amazingly powerful for independent artists. Uh, I mean, for all artists, but certainly for the indie artists. And I find that it's great. The more stuff I put out there and let the fans in, the more they want to be in and be a part of it. And so I try to keep people informed, especially on like a trip out west like this. We're going up to San Francisco. We're playing the Apple Store in San Francisco. And, you know, people really respond to things like that that are, you know, exciting and free. <laughs> and, yeah, um, cheap, good, free, better. Right. And and Facebook is amazing. Twitter's amazing. I, I haven't mastered Twitter yet, but I'll get there. I promise. I didn't get the utility of Twitter until I started following like artists, musicians, really mm-hmm. that I really liked, and like learning about things that I wouldn't have known otherwise. You know, some people, Jason Isbell, a guitar player, used to be in Drive By Truckers. Like he's maniacal. He tweets like twenty times, thirty times a day. Same with Roseanne. And when Cash, their van yeah. was stolen in Texas, just this late this last year, like they documented the entire thing. It was crazy. Like it went out to all their fans right away. And I'm not sure if that led to them finding the van, but they did find the van after a few days. And the trailer, but then the gear was gone. But they got their van back and their trailer, so I guess all is not lost. You know, people get really lost. good at like tweeting while they're in conversations, and yeah. I don't even notice it. I have to get to that level, I, I guess. Hope, but I, I hope you don't. I know. The thing <laughs> is, is Doug and I get so little. I mean, we try to get quality time together, obviously, but we're working and traveling a lot with band members, and so yeah. the little time we have together, if I'm on my Twitter, he's just going to kill me. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe, uh, and so, so you're using you're using Twitter a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. I she's just da- started. She's and, definitely using and it. Seriously, every time I go on it, Doug's like, "Come on, babe, give me some love. Put down the Twitter." <laughs> Is that what you're doing? Yes. Twittering, <laughs> Twittering. <laughs> tweeting. Oh, tweeting. I'm just constantly saying that. <laughs> you are. I'm just kidding. You always need love. Always. Yeah, that's well, it's, it's important that the people who are closest to you feel appreciated. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a life lesson that everyone needs to be reminded yeah, yeah, every single day of the year. I just know how, like, kind of quasi into it she is, and I know how it's kind of like, oh, my God, I got to do this. She's know? in denial that she really loves <laughs> you, yeah. right? And like, you can see it, but she can't. That's how relationships work. <laughs> right. uh, yeah, except I'm the one that has to do it, and you can just sit back and be like, do that yeah, later. Exactly. I have the luxury of yeah. being like, don't do that now. Your life yeah. is cushy, dude. So cushy. Well, he's just just the guitar player, man. Just the guitar player, right? Yeah, exactly. A little to the left, by the way. <laughs> let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your upcoming shows, and we'll get you guys rolled on out of here because I know you're busy. I got places to go. I got to get to San Francisco before too long. I, I would love to talk to you all night long, and I probably could. Likewise. But, we, but uh, I'm, I'm, I've had a wonderful time chatting with you guys. So you've got some shows coming up here. You're not actually playing a show in L.A. this time around. Maybe We're next not. time. We played in November at the Bootleg. Okay. Yeah, Bootleg's a cool room. Yeah, really cool. Strange room, but cool room. Strange and cool, and that's uh, why we like strange. We like yeah, strange. Yeah, strange, cool. strange can be cool. You know, there's, <laughs> there's, you know, there's, there's unique good and unique bad. So, yes. uh, so, but also you're playing the Hotel Utah, San Francisco. That's the 17th coming up this St. Patty's Day, just, just this Saturday night. Yes. 
Yes. Uh, this following day, live at the Apple Store. Live how at in the Apple the, Store. How in God's name did you get a gig at the Apple you Store? You know, I don't know because when our label, t- when we said, why don't we get a gig at the Apple Store? Our label said, and Francois from Sunnyside, our label will laugh at this. He said, getting a, a gig at the Apple Store in San Francisco is like getting an audience with the Pope. And so, you know, I guess we're... Yeah holier than that you've, you've been anointed <laughs> do you get a free ipad out of the deal or anything i don't know we don't know we've heard rumors that they do give out god no like, please a don't give us or, or something don't you know? give me any more technology i already can't handle it well if they give you an ipad and you don't want it i'll give you my address after right the on. show yeah you got that's it where you, you can got send it. it all right but that's uh, on the 18th like in okay. the afternoon and then you're continuing on up the coast you've got uh music millennium in portland oregon yeah that's uh i guess that would be a monday show that's right? a monday at the, it's a record store it's okay you know it's important to do those in stores and those uh, are some of the weirdest gigs i've ever done we're super psyched for that man we can just like hoard all the vinyl before yeah. we leave yeah. yeah, I don't want an iPad, just a stack of vinyl. That's right. And then back in your hometown, back at the living room in New York City, April 27th. So those are your upcoming gigs, and Correct. you've got some more dates, I'm sure, coming up later in the year to promote the record. Yes. Is that yes, the case? You'll keep us informed with those. We gladly will. We, we will pass them along to our listening audience, Once, if you, especially if you come back here to Los Angeles. Yeah. We would love to. Would you, if you came back, would you have a band? You yeah, we, oh, our definitely. band's coming with us to, ca- to San Francisco oh, and okay. Portland. They're meeting us up there. Oh, that's always They're cool. not in the video, though, so, you know, <laughs> they didn't need to be in L.A. Well, they eat a lot. The catering budget would just skyrocket exactly. if they were all there. Man, so. you, such seriously, divas. you think the singer's the diva? It's really the other, the other guys. True that. It's cool, laid-back me and the other guys. <laughs> <laughs> You heard it here first, everybody. There's this a self-deprecating singer who says she is not the diva. Is Get it, it on right? record. Is it true? From a, d- a self-deprecating guitar player, it's kind of true, yes. All right. Well, very nice. Well, I, again, thank you so much for coming all the way from the West Side. Joe, thanks to for having beautiful Pasadena us. to come here. We I had a great time talking to you guys, hearing your music, uh, and we'll look forward to hearing what's coming up for you guys later in the year. And good luck with the record, okay? Right thank on. You. Thank you so much. Very much. Uh, next on Independence Day, we are very happy to have homegrown pop chanteuse Andrea Hamilton. Thanks again to Alyssa and Doug Graham. Also to the Independence Day staff, Dale Tankley and Wayne Topinski. And as always, the uber-cool Valentino Rivera from Lancer Radio. For Independence Day, I'm Joe Armstrong. Please be good to one another.